Thanks for listening. The following is an audio presentation from High Country Christian Church. For more information, please visit www.highcountrychristian.com. We're going to conclude our summer series that we've been teaching on the book of Acts. Y'all remember that we've been in a series? I know I haven't been up in front of you in a couple weeks, so you might be like, who is this guy and what is he doing? Um, (laughs) We are concluding our eight-week series on the book of Acts. We titled that Bold, the Miraculous Book of Acts. Who has enjoyed their trip through the book of Acts? Did you discover some things about the church that you didn't realize on this trip through the book of Acts? Did you uncover and encounter things that maybe you'd forgotten? I know I did. What an amazing time it was to travel back through this incredible book and and really read It's Our Family History, guys. Amen. Amen. The book of Acts is our family history. This is how the church got started. This is where, this is your heritage. This is where you come from. Amen. If it wasn't for Peter and James and John and Paul and Timothy and Silas and Barnabas, if it wasn't for all these guys, there would be no Hope Church in Boone, right? There would be no Christianity as we know it. And so it's so wonderful to be able to, to, to look back over our shoulder and see what God did in this amazing book of Acts. We're going to finish this series today. And I pray that it has strengthened and encouraged your faith. I pray that it's also challenged you to think a little differently about the gospel and about our responsibility to preach the gospel to the world. Amen. So we're going to finish this series with the synopsis of the final chapters today. I'm combining two sessions into one. I felt led to highlight what I believe is one of the most interesting and amazing moments in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, and that is his sailing from Jerusalem to Rome. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. I'm going to give you these, uh, this summary of these final chapters. But before we do that, let's make our confession of faith together that we like to make. You can watch on screen. I want to give greetings to those who are watching us online this morning today. You'll be able to see this and follow along with it on your screen as well. Let's declare this out loud together today. Thank you, Father, that today... The eyes of my heart see you. The ears of my heart hear you. My heart and mind perceive and understand your word and your will. Today I am growing in the things of God. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that the Bible declares that the entrance of your word gives light. God, we thank you that as we receive from your word today... And as we feed upon the goodness of your word, that the spirit of God is ministering to our hearts. Lord, we ask you today to make the things that we see and read and hear today come alive on the inside of us. Lord, that this would be more than just merely a story, that this would be more than just merely good principles for us to live by, but that instead we would encounter you today as we read your word and as we study to show ourselves approved. God, I ask that you would speak into every heart this morning. We thank you that the enemy has taken authority over, that his work is bound, and that today you have all of our hearts to do as you desire to do, Lord God. So we thank you for speaking to us in this place today. We give you the praise for these things in the mighty name of Jesus. And everybody shouted, amen. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. How many of you are thankful for our worship team this morning? Didn't they do a great job? Isn't that awesome? Thank you, guys. Let me uh, share with you a little summary on these final chapters of Acts, this has been one of my favorite parts of doing this series is this little summary that I do at the beginning. I've been really enjoying this. I hope you have too. It's kind of like storytelling, you know? So let me read this for you this morning. You may recall from our last session that Paul has departed from Miletus towards Jerusalem, having just said goodbye for the first, or excuse me, for the last time, to the elders from the church of Ephesus. Along the way, Paul and his team stopped multiple times in the cities of Kos, Patara, past Cyprus, and on to Tyre. If you're wondering where that is, it's out by meat camp, which is in in modern-day Lebanon. 
After meeting believers there, they make their way to the region of Caesarea and to the home of Philip the evangelist, who we met way back in chapters 7 and 8 of this book of Acts. There, in the home of Philip and in the region of Caesarea Philippi, Paul is met by a prophet named Agabus. Aren't you glad your parents didn't name you Agabus this morning? Isn't that good? <clears throat> this prophet Agabus tells Paul in no uncertain terms that if he journeys on to Jerusalem, he will be captured by the Jews and turned over to the Romans. Keep in mind that from this moment of his conversion and all throughout the 30, the 30 plus years of his ministry, Paul has been viewed by the entire Jewish movement as their enemy. So he's now going back into Jerusalem, which at this time for him is hostile territory, right? But he goes unafraid. Isn't that amazing? Upon Paul's arrival in Jerusalem, he is discovered in the temple and taken captive by the Jews there. An angry mob in the temple seeks to kill Paul, but his life is spared when the leader of the Roman guards discovers that Paul can speak Greek and that he's not a common criminal. He allows Paul to address the angry mob, and Paul proceeds in Hebrew to tell the crowd the entire history of his life and his ministry. Though the crowd listens to Paul, by the end of his testimony, they resume their uproar and they demand Paul's death. He's taken away by the Roman guards into the barracks where they intend to try him by scourging him with whips. It's here that Paul reveals that he's in fact a Roman citizen by birth. And they refrain from laying a hand upon him as it would violate their Roman laws. Before I keep going, let me just express to you, 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 one of the things you learn when reading through this stuff is you see the multiple political powers that were at play in the nation of Israel that Paul lived in. You had in Jerusalem, the Jews, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they were the head of the Hebrew religion in Jerusalem, and that Hebrew religion spread out all throughout the nation of Israel. They were not, however, the governing authority. The governing authority in that region was actually King Herod and a gentleman named King Agrippa, who uh, was the political power overseeing all of Jerusalem and Israel. And then outside of that, you had the Roman Empire, which had conquered most of the known world at that point, which answered to Caesar. So you had three completely different governing bodies all jockeying for power in the city of Jerusalem. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And then here you got Paul stuck right in the middle of it. And he's amazing because he's a Roman citizen by birth. He's Jewish by birth as well. And he's trained in the Pharisees' law. So he's, he's got a foot in each of the three camps. Isn't that amazing? So his life is literally divided. I mean, he's literally like in this very dangerous situation here. <clears throat> the next day, Paul is taken to stand trial before the Pharisees and the Sadducees, who end up divided about what to do with Paul. Feeling that they will have a riot on their hands, the Romans decide to take Paul back into custody and keep him safe in their barracks. That night, a plot to kill Paul by the Jews, is uncovered and told to the Romans who decide to move Paul under the protection of 200 Roman soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spear, spearmen. So you got 475 Roman guards personally escorting Paul out of the city of Jerusalem in the middle of the night back north into Caesarea where he could stay in the, in the uh, protection of Felix, who's the governor of the Roman Empire in that area. Not too confusing, is it? I hope not. It's pretty powerful. I just love it when God uses the systems of the world to advance his, his kingdom agenda without inquiring to ask permission. Isn't it cool that God used all these Romans to move Paul safely and soundly out of the city of Jerusalem? I just love when God just uses the devil's tools and doesn't ask permission. Isn't that cool? Now, <clears throat> for two years, Paul stays in the care of Felix, the governor, who refuses to do anything with Paul out of fear. Doesn't want to make the Jews mad. He doesn't want to make the Romans mad. So he's just saying, well, I'm just going to hold on to this guy and we'll see what happens. Okay. At the end of two years, Felix is succeeded by a new governor named Portius Festus. 
Portius Festus. That's a real name. (laughs) When it is time for Festus to hear from Paul, Paul makes an appeal to stand before Caesar as a Roman citizen. He had a right to do that. He said, you can't do anything for me. Somebody's asking me to share the password. There you go. Okay. It's what I get for preaching off of an iPad. (laughs) I'm right in the middle of reading. All of a sudden, this little window pops up. says, please share the password. Okay. There you go. (laughs) Within a few days of Paul's appeal... Festus is visited by King Agrippa, who was the last king in the dynasty of King Herod and was the ruler of all of Israel and the surrounding territories. Watch this. This is amazing. Paul preaches to King Agrippa and appeals to the king's understanding as King Agrippa has ruled all of Israel for some time and would have known firsthand the Jewish religion as well as the ministry of Jesus some 30 years earlier. He's the grandson of King Herod. Isn't that amazing? The first king here, the one who tried to kill Jesus when he was a little baby. It's kind of funny when you start to dig into the history of these things, it actually makes it all, you you realize this actually happened. These were real people and, and, and real timelines and all this stuff really happened. Now, Paul appeals to King Agrippa and nearly convinces Agrippa to become a Christian. Finding no fault in Paul, these rulers send him by ship to Rome, but they show Paul kindness and give him the liberties of a Roman citizen. So he's not traveling like your average criminal. He's actually pretty much able to move freely and do the things he wants to do. He, after all, wants to go to Rome. God spoke to Paul early on in his life when he was converted and told him, you're going to stand before kings. You're going to stand before noble people. You're going to take my gospel to the ends of the known world. So Paul, even though he's a prisoner in this situation, is still on assignment. And he hasn't lost track of that assignment, hasn't lost hold of the reality of that assignment. So he's actually happy to be on his way to Rome. When Agabus came to him, the prophet in Caesarea, and said, you're going to be bound and you're going to be taken away, if you go read it, Agabus took Paul's belt and he, and he bound his own hands in this. And he says, the owner of this belt, the Spirit of God says, the owner of this belt is going to be led away just like this. Paul was totally undeterred. How many of you know that when you get into the purpose of God, you don't have to be moved by anything that anybody says? Amen. Yeah, got me preaching. I'm not even out of the synopsis yet. This is going to be a good service. After sailing for many days and with much difficulty, they make landfall in the city of Lycia. Because winter was approaching and because sailing in that part of the Mediterranean is dangerous during the winter months, they were advised to attempt to sail and reach the island of Crete and winter there. However, Paul was warned by the Holy Spirit not to try to sail to Crete. Did you ever have something on the inside from God, but the people around you don't seem to be getting it? Yeah. However, though he told this to the ship's crew, they didn't listen to his warning. As they sailed, the ship was caught in a mighty storm and remained in that storm for 14 days. During that time... Paul was visited by an angel who assured him that though the ship would be destroyed, no lives would be lost. On the 15th day, they ran the ship aground on the island of Malta. There they were met by the native inhabitants of the island and were shown unusual kindness by then. This is where the story gets really interesting. As they warmed themselves by a fire, Paul was bitten by a viper which fastened itself onto Paul's hand. Being unafraid, Paul shook the snake off into the fire, and the natives expected him to die shortly thereafter. When he didn't die, they thought Paul was a god. He was taken to the leader of the island, a man named Publius. Yes, Publius. Who blessed Paul abundantly after Paul healed his father, as well as the rest of those on the island who were sick and had disease. Isn't it amazing that amidst a challenge for Paul, a revival breaks out on the island of Malta? 
After three months, Paul and the rest of those bound for Rome continued their journey in an Alexandrian ship loaded down with many provisions and many blessings. When they landed in Rome, they were met by several believers who had heard that Paul was coming there. Paul was given special treatment by the Romans and was permitted to live under house arrest with a single guard where he ministered to the Roman believers and proceeded to write two-thirds of the New Testament. He finished his days in Rome, strengthening the church, which he helped establish all across the known world until he was martyred at the hands of Emperor Nero sometime between 65 and 68 AD. And that brings us to the end of the book of Acts. Matter of fact, there are, there are more things that we have learned from history outside of the book of Acts about Paul and the remainder of his life. It's, it's believed very strongly that Paul, after he stood before Caesar, prior to Nero, uh, he stood before Caesar and was found an innocent person. See, nobody except the Jews the whole way along had anything against Paul. So when he stood before the Romans, when he stood before Felix, when he stood before King Agrippa, ultimately when he stands before Caesar, they say, we, we can't find anything wrong with you. So he was actually released and let go and, and, and left Rome for a time and went to Spain. And it was while he was in Spain that he wrote First and Second Thessalonians and First and Second Timothy. And then he returned back to Rome because that's where his heart had been the whole time. That's where he desired to be. And then sometime between 65 and 68 AD, crazy Emperor Nero who actually burned Rome to the ground. That's a pretty smart thing to do to your own kingdom, right? Just burn it, you know? And uh, he was a lunatic, but he killed so many Christians and Paul was one of them. Now, I wanted to, in giving this final synopsis, point out and spend a little bit of time, since this is our last uh, session in the book of Acts, I want to focus on this trip from Rome to Jerusalem that Paul has, okay? Because I believe, and as Gracie was saying, you know, some, some of you have had challenging weeks this week, um, or challenging s- several weeks for, for many of us. And you know what? That's okay. How many of you know God never leaves us and he never forsakes us? So even though we've been in challenging situations, Jesus is still with us. Amen? He hasn't left us. And so I want to, uh, to look at this series of events that happens. And it starts in right about Acts chapter 27. So you can turn there. Acts chapter 27. And the voyage of Rome begins. Now, there was 200 and some odd people traveling on this boat with Paul. So it wasn't a small little ship. This was actually a pretty substantial boat. And let's begin reading. Let's see here. Let's begin reading in verse 7. It says, when we had sailed slowly many days, we arrived with difficulty off Sinaitis. That sounds like uh, respiratory infection. <laughs> Doesn't it? Sinaitis? <laughs> oh, yeah, they got that Sinaitis. He's eat up with the Sinaitis, I'll tell you what. Anyway, the wind's not permitting us to proceed. <laughs> Somebody's going to laugh at that somewhere. The wind's not permitting us to proceed. We sailed under the shelter of Crete off Salmone, passing it with difficulty and we came to a place called Fair Havens near the city of Lycia. So even from the very beginning of the journey, it's tough. They're struggling to just get where they need to go. When much time had been spent sailing and was now dangerous because the fast was already over, that's telling us what point of the season they were in. They were in late fall, early winter. And it's very, it's to this day, a precarious time to sail in the northern and northern eastern, northeastern parts of the Mediterranean Sea. In the Adriatic Sea and south of Greece and over in the northeastern part of the Mediterranean towards Turkey, uh, there's the, in wintertime, it's just a terrible time to sail because you're really going to you know, take your life into your own hands. And so these guys were trying to get to Rome. Um, Paul says here in verse 10... Men, I perceive that this voyage will end with disaster and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also 
of our lives. Nevertheless, the centurion was more persuaded by the helmsman and the owner of the ship than by the things spoken by Paul. I know you all have been in those situations before when you're irritated because you're trying to tell somebody how to do the thing that they need to do and they just don't want to hear it. Anybody besides me been there? Yes. Amen. Now, things are just on the cusp of getting ready to get really ugly for Paul. In fact, if you go read in, I believe it's either first or second Corinthians, Paul talks about this journey. This is years later, he's writing to the Corinthians and he talks about this part of his journey to Rome. And he said that it got so bad that they absolutely wanted to die. They were in this crazy storm, as I mentioned in the synopsis, for 14 days. They didn't eat. They didn't see the sun. They didn't see the moon. They didn't see the stars. They're in this crazy hurricane of a storm. Don't know which direction they're going. Uh, they, I, was, I was reading up on this and, and uh, was reading some commentary that said that they, that they sailed up and down the Adriatic Sea, which is in between Italy and Greece. It's the body of water in the northern part of the Mediterranean Sea, and they sailed not knowing what direction they're going for 14 days, just trying to get out of this storm. Nobody's eating. Nobody has slept. They've thrown everything overboard except a little bit of bread that they kept for later. And they're just absolutely don't know what to do. Paul says in first, I think it's first Corinthians, we despaired of life itself. Paul was at the lowest point of his world. He had never, things had never been this bad. I mean, think about the tough things that happened to Paul, right? In Antioch, they stoned him, right? They threw him in a ditch. He had to, he, he had to be, when he was running from the Jews, had to be lowered. Was it Joppa? He had to be lowered over the city wall in a basket at night because they wanted to kill him. He got beaten and scourged multiple times. He was thrown into the, into the jail cell in Philippi with him and Silas, and they were beaten until they were bloody on their backs, and they were still singing praises. I mean, Paul has not had it easy, right? Just in case you and I want to feel like our life is falling apart just because, you know, my package arrived three days late from Amazon, right? Come on. Come on, right? Like, doggone it, Chick-fil-A is closed. It's a chicken shortage in America. Why, God? <laughs> Come on, I'm not the only one. My children are not the only ones, right? No, just in case we want to forget that there's other people. Listen, your bad day is what somebody else is praying for. How many of you have been reading, and I'm not, this is not political, and I'm not going to take a jaunt off in this direction. How many of you read about what's going on in Afghanistan right now? Guys, greater is he that lives in us. Yeah, my bad day hurts me. But you know what? There's somebody else out there that's having a much tougher go of things. Paul's world is about to get topsy-turvy. Let's start, let's read in verse 13. It says, when the south wind blew softly, supposing that they had obtained their desire, they put out to sea and they sailed close by Crete. But not long after, how many of you have ever had a not long after? Like, oh man, we just had a great guest minister at this weekend and it was awesome. COVID! <laughs> not long after. <laughs> right? Hey, how many of you know, even though COVID's real, the devil's a liar, and Jesus is the healer, and I'm standing here with no COVID, glory to God, because greater is he that lives in me than he that's in the world. Glory to God. Not long after, a tempestuous headwind arose called Eurocladon. Now, this is a storm, as I told you, that happens annually in the northeastern part of the Mediterranean that is so so well known that it's got a name, okay? It's like the, uh, what's, what's the, the Santa Ana's, yeah, the Santa Ana's winds in California, that's what I was trying to think of. It's like the Santa Ana's, it happens the same time roughly every year, and it blows down from the north, and, and so the sailing was precarious. So when the ship was caught in this Eurocladon storm and could not head into the wind, we let her drive, 
And running off the shelter of an island called Clouda, we secured the skiff with difficulty. When they secured the skiff, uh, when they had taken it on board, they used cables to undergird the ship, fearing lest they should run aground. So they actually took cables and, and stretched them out underneath the boat to try to hold the boat together because this storm's starting to get pretty rough. Jump down to verse 20. Watch this. Now, when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest beat on us, all hope that we would be saved was finally given up. All hope. This is Paul, the apostle of faith. This is the guy who has started the church. This is the guy who has absolutely birthed the church into existence. This dude is a faith giant. And in this moment, he says, all hope is gone. We're pretty sure we're going to die. Wow. But how many of you know that even though Paul's in a situation that on the outside to the natural, as far as what he can see, taste, feel, touch, smell, see, as far as all of those things are concerned, it's hopeless. But how many of you know that Paul had a word from God, right? Didn't Paul have a word from God? Didn't, wasn't it Jesus himself that appeared to Paul in Acts chapter 9 in the road to Damascus and said, you are going to stand before kings and mighty men and authority? Didn't, didn't, wasn't it Paul that, or wasn't it Jesus that said to Paul, you're going to go to Rome? And if it wasn't enough... He confirmed it in a couple verses. Verse 24, look at this. Actually, let's read in verse 23, sorry. Paul stands up in the middle of the ship, and this is what he said. He says, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve, saying this, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe God. Man, if I had to give a title to today's message, it would be, therefore, take heart, for I believe God. Everything is going wrong in their world. The ship is falling apart. They've tied cables around it to try to get it to not fall apart. They're worried about smashing into rocks. They're off the coast of this island. It's been 14 days. They don't know which direction they're headed. Nobody's eaten. They're getting ready to die. All hope is lost. And an angel shows up and says, Paul, you must appear before Caesar. Nobody in this ship is going to die. Take heart. Glory to God. Come on, this is ministering to you this morning. I know it. Hallelujah. Let's keep going. Look at verse 29. Verse 29 says, Then fearing lest we should run aground on the rocks, we dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Y'all remember that Rascal Flat song, Praying for Daylight? I'm pretty sure they wrote that song on this journey. I'm pretty sure that they got that from Paul. They were praying for day to come. Let's drop some anchors and see if we can just hold on. How many of you have ever been in your life where you're just like, I just, I just need to hold on. If I could just hold on, if I could just hold on, if I could just hold on. They were doing everything that they could. And eventually, things started to turn to get better. Look at verse 40. Actually, let's look at verse 39. It says, when it was day... They did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach onto which they planned to run the ship if possible. So now, after day 15, you all following so far? After day 15, they see a beach. Praise God. How many people would love to be on a beach in the Mediterranean, right? They see a beach and they say, okay, guys, it's starting to get better. Okay, starting to get better, starting to turn. Okay. Let us go, they said, verse 40. They, they let go the anchors and left them at sea. Meanwhile, loosing the rudder ropes and they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. Oh, it's starting to look good. 
It's starting to get better, right? Verse 41, something happened they didn't expect, but striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground and a prow stuck fast and remained immovable. In, ever, in other words, let me show you what happened. As they're making their way for this beach, paradise has found where we're saved. The ship's going to make it. All of a sudden, they get into this headwater and the front of the boat jams into some coral and the back end of the boat starts to swing up this way and the whole boat starts to fall into pieces. Just when I thought I was out, they pull me back in. If you've ever seen The Godfather Part 3, you know what I'm talking about. Just when they thought they were going to make it, just when they thought everything's going to be okay, the ship hits a big reef and starts to fall apart and now everybody's in the water floating on driftwood in this same storm. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel at this point if you're Paul? Right? How would you feel? All you want to do is get to Rome to preach. You're like, Lord, I thought you sent me to Rome to preach to Caesar. I thought I was going to, my, my big opportunity is right out in front of me. I've appealed to speak to Caesar. I've got this audience with him. It's going to be great, Lord. What the heck is going on? I thought I was doing the thing you told me to do. I thought I was in your will. Let me ask you a question. What does faith do when it has a shipwreck? not a trick question. It swims. Amen. It's not a trick question. What does faith do when it gets into a sticky situation? It keeps going. Yeah. Amen. My dad always said this when I was a kid. He used to say, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. If you're going through the valley, don't stop. Keep going. Amen. I like what Pastor Rick Renner says. He says, the wrong time to have a theological discussion is when you're in the middle of a storm. Amen. Right? How many times, listen, how many times, just, just ask yourself, you don't have to reveal it to anybody around you, but how many times you've been in a challenging situation and these are the thoughts that come to your head? Thought you were doing the will of God. Thought you really believed. Thought you had some faith. Where's your faith? Where's your faith? Oh, I thought that you were stronger than this. Oh, why are you falling apart? This does, I, thought you, I thought you were a Christian. I thought you believed. My friend, my brother, my sister, the wrong time to have a what's going on theologically conversation is in the middle of a storm. There'll be plenty of time to talk about it later, to think about it later. But for right now, faith has to carry on. Faith, you don't have the luxury. I don't have the luxury of stopping and pulling back and drawing back when the going gets tough because there's lives at stake. There's a bunch of other people in the boat with me that the angel of the Lord said that uh, they get to come with me. So I, it's my job to, to stand up and be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Amen. Now what happens? If you keep reading, they get to the island. They, 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 you know, Paul's hanging on between two suitcases, right? And he gets to the beach, and there's Tom Hanks in a volleyball. <laughs> Wilson, yeah. <laughs> Paul gets to the island of Malta, and what does he do? He gets out of the water, and he's all covered in head to toe in seaweed, and he's just frustrated, and he just lost his life and hadn't eaten a hot meal in a long while. And, and what, what's happening? It's raining. And they look up, and there are natives on the island. The New King James says natives. The Greek doesn't read quite as nicely. It says savages. <laughs> savages, Right? We're, we're much more civilized now, so we don't use those kinds of terms. But that's what the Greeks said. So these guys are looking at us, and they don't look too nice. So can you imagine you've gone through all of this situation, and now you and your wet suitcase get dragged up onto the beach, and you look around, and there's people that appear to be hostile to you. But then the funniest thing happens. The people don't turn out to be hostile. And they build you a fire. 
And because you're Paul, you're such a good team player. You said, I'm going to help him build this fire. Yeah, I'm pretty exhausted. I'd love to sit down, but we got a fire to build. So you go around and start collecting bundles of wood. I just want you to imagine what would happen if you were Paul. You're carrying this bundle of wood thinking it's just hunky-dory. Praise God, we got a fire. Things are starting to look up. And you're like, I'm going to just add this wood to the fire here. And as you do, a viper jumps out of, the, out of the bundle of wood and fastens itself to your arm. It's Listen, this wasn't a garden snake, okay? This was a viper. The word viper, by the way, belongs to the family of the most poisonous snakes in the entire world. This is one of the most, this is like a black mamba, a a, a cobra, some kind of Texas rattler. I mean, this is some heavy duty, nasty snake, jumps onto Paul, and the Bible says it fastens to him. Yeah, kind of. Now, I did a little bit of research, and this is what I found. A venomous snake is a nervous snake. You know, you look at like boa constrictors and the big long pythons and all those kinds of things. They are not nervous. They're 10, 12, 13, 15 feet long. They own everything within a you know, square mile of them. They're, they're the boss. They got nothing to be afraid of. They're sluggish. That's why people will pick up a big heavy snake like that and put them on their neck and carry them around because they don't care. But venomous snakes, they got something to prove. They're antsy, they're jittery, they're loaded with poison, and they're constantly on the defense. You ever met anybody like that? You ever met a Christian brother or sister who, when the going got tough, was happy to smile as they were digging into you? Come on. Beware the antsy ones. Venomous snakes are nervous and they're on edge. Now, the word fastened that we read, by the way, we've moved from chapter 27 to 28. We're in verses 3 and 4. Verse 3 reads, When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. Verse 4, When the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer whom though he has escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. Isn't it great when you're in your weakest moment that people start talking about you? That's awesome. Now I looked up this word fastened, and this word fastened here means that the snake was really lodged into him. And what I I was was, uh, studying told, I found out that when when a snake fastens like that onto you, it's, it's... teeth are like syringes that go into your skin. And, and when it presses you, it's like pressing the back of the syringe that the, that the poison's going into your hand or your foot or wherever you get bitten by. So not only was this, this snake didn't just bite Paul and then back off. It was so terrified of whatever's going on. I mean, I'd be scared if somebody threw me into a fire too. But it was so terrified of being thrown into the fire, it latches onto Paul and it starts to intensely fill him with poison. I mean, how would, you, how would you feel if you're Paul? All I want to do is go preach. I'm just trying to bring the gospel to people that have never heard it before. And for some reason, my boat sank and busted up. My passport, all my luggage, all my cash, the sandwiches my wife made me, everything's out in the ocean. And I made it to this beach. I feel terrible. I'm tired. All I want to do is go to sleep and eat some Chick-fil-A, and all I'm trying to do is build this fire, and here this stupid snake jumps onto my hand and starts injecting me with all kinds of poison in front of this group of people that's now mocking me. What does Paul do? He shook it off. He shook it off. When the enemy comes against you while you're in the middle of doing the will of God, what are you supposed to do? Shake it off. Shake it back off into the fire that it came out of. I love it, man, because Paul has got a word from God. 
Paul has heard his whole ministry life from the moment he saw Jesus in Acts chapter 9, 30-something years ago, and from then until now, he keeps hearing the same thing. You must appear before Caesar. You gotta go preach this gospel in Rome. You've gotta get to where God wants you to go. And so when Paul gets bit by a snake at the end of the worst two weeks of his life where he wanted to die and where hope seemed completely lost, rather than cry about the venom, he shook him off and said, I've got to get to Caesar. I've got to go preach in Rome. I'm not going to die on this island. When COVID busts in your house, what do you do? You say, I'm not going to die from some respiratory disease. I've got to preach. I've got to fulfill the call. I've got to get where I'm going. I'm excited this morning. The natives thought he was going to die. They assumed the worst. Isn't it interesting? When you get into tough situations, the people around you assume the worst about your character. See, that guy just got bit by a snake. God must not be happy with him. Oh, you know what I heard? I heard he was a murderer. He escaped. He made it out of the sea. But justice won't let him live. Now he got bit by a viper. This was the perfect time for Paul to quit and give up. I want to tell you this morning, no matter what issue you face, no matter what the challenge looks like, no matter what is pressing around you, no matter what jumped out of the fire to try to bite you, there's only one reason that it's there. And that reason is to get you to quit. That's it. I alluded to this in last week's video You know, it's not a matter of victory and defeat for the Christian. There is no defeat for for the Christian, and there is no victory for the devil. So it's not a matter of win and lose with you and the enemy. That battle was fought long before you and I ever got here, and we already know what happened there. The question that's in front of all of us is, am I going to quit, or am I going to hold on until the devil quits? Am I going to buckle down? Am I going to buckle up and say, I'm in this for the long haul? Or am I just going to lay down and let the enemy run me over? Because here, let me ask you a question. What would have happened if in that moment, Paul would have done like many of us, me, all of us have probably done before, threw his hands up in the air and said, oh, oh, I just got bit. What would have happened? He'd have died. He'd have died. But you see, he acted in faith. Because when the boat falls apart, faith swims. And when, and when the viper jumps out of the fire and latches onto you and starts to try to pump you full of poison, faith shakes it off into the fire. Faith remains committed to the word that God spoke all those years ago, all those days ago when you were at sea and that angel showed up in your boat and said, don't be afraid, you must go to Caesar. I made six observations from this story. I want to leave you with these six observations. Number one, if you're taking notes, you may want to write these down. Number one, circumstances are not an indicator of the will of God in your life. Now, I don't know who needs to hear that. I don't know whether you're in this building or whether you're watching online. Circumstances are not the indicator of the will of God for your life. I'm in a situation I don't know what to do, Pastor. I'm in a situation I've never seen before. Uh, you know, I heard a guy preach this recently, something about disappointment is not defeat. Circumstances don't determine whether or not you're in the will of God or not. Amen? 
What determines whether or not you're in the will of God? Faithfulness and obedience. What did Paul say to King Agrippa a couple chapters ago? He said, King Agrippa, I held fast to the heavenly vision. I did not disobey the vision Jesus gave to me. What determines whether or not you're in the will of God? Are you being obedient to what he said? Are you going to go to Rome even though something's trying to bite you? Number two, sometimes the people around you will drag you into storms that you had the wisdom to avoid. Stick with them anyway. Not as many amens on that last part, I know. Sometimes people will drag you into situations that you know better than. You've actually got wisdom from God. We don't need to go that direction. But they, they pulled Paul into that storm anyway. What did he do? Did he abandon? Did he get offended? Did he get offended in the middle of the storm and say, you know what, you buttheads, I told you we shouldn't have come on this thing. I told y'all this was going to happen. I'm going to go sit in the back of the boat and wait for y'all to die so that Jesus can come rescue me. He didn't do that. He didn't do anything even close to that. Sometimes people will drag you into storms. You have the wisdom to avoid. Stick with them anyway. Number three, when the going gets tough, the people with the word in their mouth are the ones who end up leading. The ones who end up leading. Amen. Did you notice when you read this story, you can go back and read it later. Everybody, when they get in the storm, everybody's wanting to look to Paul to find out what are we going to do. All of a sudden, the guy who was the prisoner becomes the guy who's in charge. Why? Because he's got a word from the Lord. Amen. When the going gets tough, the ones who have the word of God in their mouth are the ones who will end up leading. Number four, sometimes... You have to shake off an attack you didn't expect. Nobody expected Paul to get bit, most especially Paul. If there's anybody who felt justified in that moment, like I've done it all and I've gone through it all, it's Paul. Sometimes you have to shake off an attack you didn't expect. Number five, the same people that ridiculed you will come back to you looking for prayer later. The same folks that thought for sure Paul's a goner, he must be a murderer, let's sit around and watch him die, now are the same people coming to Publius's house going, Paul, could you pray for me too? My granny's got pneumonia, could you pray for her too? The same people that ridicule you We'll come back to you looking for prayer later if you don't quit. And number six, you'll get where you're supposed to go if you just don't give up. You'll get where you're supposed to go if you just don't give up. Did Paul make it to Rome? Yeah, he absolutely did. If you go read the end, or excuse me, the middle of chapter 28, the last chapter in the book, it tells of how after three months on that island of Malta, they sailed in, do you remember what they sailed in? We read it just a minute ago, in an Alexandrian ship. Do you want to know what an Alexandrian ship was? Alexandrian ship was the Rolls Royce phantom of the ancient world. The ships in Alexandria were the finest ships in all of the Mediterranean. They were a seafaring people, and they built the highest quality ships. And the Bible says in chapter 28 that he left the island of Malta and sailed to Rome, and by the time he got to Rome, he wasn't Paul the weakling. He wasn't Paul the unfortunate. He was Paul the conqueror. 
He'd been through the fire. He'd gone through the shipwreck. He had gone through getting bitten and eaten alive by a snake. He had, he had turned that situation into a revival on the island of Malta. It's kind of funny when he writes Romans chapter 8, verse 28, and he says, and we know all things work together to good to them that love God and are called according to his prayer. I have to imagine in that moment, he's thinking about the day he got bit by a snake and it turned into a huge revival. What the enemy meant for the destruction of Paul turned into the gospel, saving an entire community, saving an entire island. And the Bible says when they left, they honored Paul with many honors. To the, to the in English, that's like, sounds a little bit redundant. They honored him with many honors. In the Greek, it reads like this. They honored him with enormous sums of money. Like so enormous that it shouldn't, nobody should have that much money. The whole island, after Paul ministered to them and healed all the sick people there and got everybody saved and turned the course of that thing around, they sent him back to, they sent him on to Rome in the nicest Rolls Royce that the, that the sea had ever seen, loaded down with more cash than anybody should have, so that when he arrived in Rome, he was treated wonderfully in the city of Rome, and he had enough given to him that the remainder of his ministry was paid for by the people on the island of Malta. If he hadn't gone to Malta, he could never have had a rented house in Rome under house arrest. If he hadn't had a rented house in Rome under house arrest, he would not have written two-thirds of the New Testament. What the enemy means for the destruction of your life, if you'll learn to shake it off, you'll get to where you're going. Come on, let's give God some praise. Come on, if you learn to shake it off, you'll get where he wants you to go. Amen. Come on, let's stand up to our feet. We hope that this message inspired you and filled your heart with faith. If you would like to visit our church, check out www.highcountrychristian.com for service times and location information. Thanks again for listening to this audio presentation from High Country Christian Church, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.